This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. Turn this morning to Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. And after that, we turn to Acts, Acts chapter 4. Matthew 1, we read a few verses there, verses 18 through 25. And then we turn to Acts 4, where we read verses 5 through 12. First, Matthew 1, verse 18, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. We turn now to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, and this takes place after... Jesus had gone through his life and died and rose again and ascended. Acts 4, beginning at verse 5 through 12. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priests were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them, that is, Peter and John, in the midst, they asked, By what power, by what name have ye done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, 
be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I read that far in God's holy and inspired word. Turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism in the back of the Psalter. We are in the second part of the Heidelberg Catechism. How I might be delivered from my sins and miseries. In the second part, I remind you that the Catechism is explaining our faith, the content of our faith. And it has expounded upon or expounded the Apostles' Creed, which is divided into three parts, children, concerning God the Father, concerning God the Son, and concerning God the Holy Spirit. And now in Lord's Day 11, the Heidelberg Catechism explains our faith, especially in the second person of that Trinity, God the Son, who is called Jesus. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, the Savior. Because He saveth us and delivereth us from our sins. And likewise, because we ought not to seek, neither can find salvation in any other. Do such then believe in Jesus, the only Savior, who seek their salvation and welfare of, saint, of saints? of themselves, or anywhere else, they do not. For though they boast of Him in words, yet in deeds they deny Jesus, the only Deliverer and Savior. For one of these two things must be true, either that Jesus is not a complete Savior, or that they who by a true faith receive this Savior must find all things in Him necessary to their salvation. Beloved, the Gospel of Jesus is a Gospel that is good news. It is comforting. It is more, most glorious. It brings to the child of God great joy. But at the same time, the gospel of Jesus is also very offensive. It is very offensive to the world and to our own sinful, proud human natures. How can it be offensive? Well, the Bible shows us many ways, one of which is that the gospel of Jesus calls you a sinner. That's offensive to the human mind and heart of himself. 
Not just a sinner, but the Gospel calls each one the chief of sinners. And you and I must recognize ourselves as such. Your problem is not, first and foremost, sickness and mental hardship or a difficult husband or wife or child to deal with or financial stress or the tanking economy or other people's sin against you. Though those are all problems in life. Real problems and that which God's people suffer. God has compassion toward His people regarding those problems. But the main problem that the Gospel shows us again and again and does so again today is that your problem is your own sin. Your own hatred of God and your neighbor. Which is that which all the other problems spring from. The Gospel is that Jesus Christ comes to save you who are the chief of sinners. It's offensive because it includes that you are the chief of sinners. Secondly, the Gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive because it claims that the cross must be your salvation. Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 1.23 speaks of that offense. We preach Christ crucified, and unto the Jews, that's a stumbling block. And unto the Greeks, it's foolishness. Mankind would not have a man cursed on a cross save them. They would not have someone who looks like he is defeated save them. They would rather have a majestic earthly king who looks victorious from the world's perspective come and cater to their desires to make life easy, to get rid of coronavirus, to establish world peace, to give everyone a chance at life. But the Gospel says, to the contrary, Christ is Him who was crucified for your salvation. And the other kind of king that caters to all the needs and desires of the world is Antichrist. Not just someone other than Christ, but someone opposed to the true Christ Jesus. I came to die, Jesus says. To hang on the accursed cross because that is the only way for salvation. That's offensive. It's foolishness to many. They cannot, and you and I by nature cannot, come to terms with seeing that the cross is what actually accomplished our salvation. Second, or third, today we focus on a third way the gospel is offensive. Not only, not only does it call everyone a sinner, not only does it claim that sinners must be saved by a crucified Jesus Christ. But third, the Gospel is offensive because it claims exclusivity. That's what the Catechism is seeing. We ought not seek, neither can find salvation in any other. That the Gospel is exclusive means that Jesus is the only way. He is the only Savior. 
Or negatively speaking, every other religion is false. Every other religion leads to hell. Every other religion, though it may, may claim to believe to, in Jesus Christ, deceives and preaches a false Christ and leads many to hell itself. We ought not seek, neither can find salvation in any other. Many today claim they preach Jesus Christ. Galatians 1 verse 6, Paul speaks to those who are listening to a false gospel and a false Christ and says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that is from Jesus that called you. Here is the offensive nature of the gospel. You cannot be saved by a false Christ. And there are many false Christs out there. The world would have you believe, young people, young adults, those at college would have you believe in this pluralistic and relativistic society that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in Jesus. And that is their way of telling you that you don't have to believe in the specific kind of Jesus. It can be whatever Jesus you want Him to be. And that's the way the world deceives. But salvation is not in any other but the Jesus of the Bible. And that's offensive to many. That is why many would not have you teach and believe true doctrine about Jesus. You must believe the true Jesus as taught in Scripture. Before I continue, let me remove one, under, must, one misunderstanding in our circles. This is not about a church name. This is not about hope. This is not about the Protestant Reformed churches first. Although it's extremely important to be a member of a true church like this one. It is not being joined to the name PRC that guarantees you salvation. It is that you are joined to the name Jesus, to the true Jesus Christ. Which means this, beloved, that there are those in other churches and other, other denominations with perhaps a different name whom Jesus saves. And it means this too, that there are those in Protestant Reformed churches who do not know the true Jesus and who are not saved. Jesus saves His people in the church Catholic. This is not about the name PRC. It is about the name Jesus, and that is offensive. It's part of the offense of the gospel. Do you know the true Jesus? Believing the true Jesus first, the exclusive Savior, second, the complete Savior, and third, the Savior believed. Believing the true Jesus, the exclusive Savior, the complete Savior, and the Savior, which you're called to believe. 
That name Jesus is significant. The name reveals to you who Jesus is. The very name does. It's a special name. A name which other people, admittedly, had in the Old Testament, and even during Jesus' time, had the name Jesus, or as the Old Testament puts it, Joshua. But here in Matthew 1 that we read, God... Not earthly parents, but God sends an angel to give to the Son born of Mary this name, Jesus, in order to reveal to us, His people, who this Son of Mary is. Jesus tells us, the name Jesus tells us His identity. First and foremost, we must remember Jesus is Jehovah God. That's the true Jesus. There is none other but Jesus who is Jehovah God. His very name means, and don't forget this, children, His very name means Jehovah Savior. Jehovah Savior. When the parents of Joshua in the Old Testament gave to Joshua the name, Joshua, which means the same thing, Jehovah Savior, they meant Jehovah is Savior. What Jonah meant in Jonah 2 verse 9, Jehovah alone saves. Salvation is of Jehovah. And Joshua certainly typified. He was a type of Jesus Christ who showed that salvation was only through Jesus or Jehovah. But when God gave to the Son of Mary this name, it meant more than Jehovah is Savior. It meant that the person, the person that was conceived, that was in the womb of Mary, and that person that was born of that virgin himself was Jehovah. Deity. He is God. The I am that I am. That's what Jehovah means. In Matthew 1.23, after, after the name was pronounced to Joseph regarding his son, this was the explanation from the prophecy of Isaiah 7. In fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, this son would be called not only Jesus, Jehovah, but Emmanuel, who is God with us. This is not a minor point. This is the very person of Jesus. He is the second person of the Trinity, Jehovah God. And to deny this or to minimize this is to deny and minimize the identity of the true Jesus Christ. So that, beloved, when Jehovah's Witnesses and members of all kinds of cults and religions come to you or maybe even seek to witness to you, your witness to them must be this, though you may put it with gentleness, your witness to them must be this, that they do not believe in the true Jesus as much as they claim to believe in Him. You must insist that they must believe in the true Jesus who is the true Jehovah Himself. God. Because if Jesus is not God, then, then He cannot, as we saw in Lord's Days 5 and 6, He cannot satisfy the justice of God that we deserve. He cannot of Himself rise from the dead. And He cannot effectually work salvation in all of His people. He must be God. Salvation is of Jehovah. 
Salvation is of Jesus. Thus He must be Jehovah God. The true Jesus is God. Secondly, the true Jesus is man. His person is God. His nature is both God and second nature, man that He took upon Himself, body and soul. Took that upon Himself, children, you know, as when He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He took on Mary's DNA. He was of the line of David. He was a Jew. He was a man. And that name, Jesus, reveals that as well. For that name, Jesus, was a name that was given to Jesus in time. In time. Before, in the Old Testament, His name was Christ, Messiah. And in time, God, through angel Gabriel, told Mary and Joseph, name Him Jesus. This was what we call the personal name of Jesus. So that when He was growing up as a child, He was called Jesus. As a teenager, as an apprentice in the carpenter shop, He was named Jesus. It was His personal name, a human name. That's important too. Your and my bored human nature might ask, is it really? Do I need to be reminded of that? I read you one verse in 2 John 1 verse 7 regarding His human nature. 2 John 1 verse 7. This is how important it is to remember that Jesus is both Jehovah and that He is man. 2 John 1.7 For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. And this, those who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, meaning a human, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. That's how serious it is. In some way or another, Again and again in these last days, there will be deception for the denial of Jesus Christ either as God or as one come in the flesh. And God's people must hold to this true Jesus Christ. He is both God and one come in the flesh and remains God and remains in our human flesh today. We ought not seek, neither can find salvation in any other but this Jesus, very God and very man. And this Jesus is Savior. Savior. That is part of His name. Jehovah Salvation or Jehovah Savior. From what is He a Savior? Gabriel makes clear when he announces the name to Joseph, Matthew 1.21, She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. Remember, that's the offensive part of the gospel. From their sins. What's the saving work of Jesus first and foremost? Not from sickness, not from poverty, not from unrest, not even first and foremost from difficulties in the church, but from your sin, my sin. It's your guilt before God that's the problem. It's your sinful nature yet within you that's the problem. 
He comes to atone for our sin, to cover over our guilt before God, and afterward to work in our hearts by His Spirit to address uh, that sinful nature and to kill that sinful nature and help us fight against that sinful nature. Jesus' name reveals that. He's a Savior from sin. Simple, but not ever to be forgotten. Think about it. How the world and the church world and our own sinful natures want a different Savior. That's what the health and wealth gospel preaches. And many flock to their large gatherings. I want a Savior, the human mind says, that will give me health and wealth, not a Savior that promises forgiveness and often affliction on this earth. I want a Savior that will make my life easy and bring an end to poverty and give a world peace. Not a Savior that promises rather to judge this world with fire and save those who deserve fire and hell. Think of the psychological Savior. Even in Christian psychologist offices. I want a Savior it is desired. I want a Savior who will stop telling me that I'm a sinner. Who will stop making me feel guilty and humbling me. And then forgiving me again with the comfort of the Gospel. Or rather, I want a Savior who will boost my self-confidence and tell me I'm a good person. Or at least better than those who are sinning against me. I want a Savior, many say, that will entertain me, that will keep my attention in church. And a Savior that will say over and over again that salvation is from above. And a Savior who will help me in my marriage, in my family, in my conflicts. Not a Savior that will forgive me for my sins against my spouse and will sanctify me through the fiery trial of a difficult marriage or family or church. True Savior. The true Jesus is a Savior from my sin. Not only does Gabriel explain that Jesus is a Savior from sin, but notice that Gabriel explains that this Savior is an effectual Savior of His people from sin. Look at his words again. For he shall save his people from their sins. That's a promise. But what Jesus will accomplish fully. Not, he's Jesus who may save his people from their sins. Not a Jesus who will make salvation available for the people, but a Savior who will actually save His people, effectually save His people, accomplish salvation in its fullness for His people. This is the true Jesus. This is the true Jesus. He finishes His work of gaining all of salvation and putting that salvation into them, His people. 
that He will effectually do, God says through this name, Jesus. And that is intimately connected to the doctrine of election. Jesus is the effectual Savior who will save His elect people. Gabriel says that. Election is right in the name, he says. He shall save not everyone, but His people from their sins. He will accomplish it. That's so important in our day and age, beloved, as Arminianism is not only an error that was back back in the time of the Reformation and time when the canons were written, but Arminianism spreads through Reformed churches today like a disease, like a cancer. And it can, it does attack even Protestant Reformed churches. No, understand election. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name it is preached, God, through Jesus Christ, effectually saves His elect people. Election is intimately connected because if election is true, only then is His saving work effectual. Only if election is true, then does He truly accomplish salvation at the cross for His people. If election is not true, think about this. If election is not true, and reprobation is not true, along with election, then when Jesus Christ went to the cross, He didn't truly gain salvation for anyone. He simply made it possible. And now it depends on man to take it It depends on man to choose Him. Jesus spilled His blood then and suffered the wrath of God for no one. He just made it available. That is what Arminianism teaches. That's the end result. A weak Savior who tried to save everyone. Made it available for everyone, but failed. That is not the true Jesus. That is not the Gospel. The Gospel includes election. It's right in the name of Jesus. When He came and when He died... He truly saved each and every single one of the people that the Father had given to Him in His decree of election. And those people, those people He fully covered. And those people He gained, for those people He gained every blessing of salvation. And into those people, inevitably He will, He does work every blessing of salvation. That's how sure Jesus' work is. It's in His name. I will qualify that. 
It does not mean that every individual person in every evangelical church and Baptist church with Arminian doctrine, that everyone there is going to hell or believes in a false Jesus. We're not to go around judging hearts and destinies with rash judgments. Because think about it, beloved, those very people who may be members of Armenian churches, they may be elect. Those for whom Jesus died and effectually saved. And what they need is for you to explain to them patiently that if Jesus is a true Savior who actually accomplished something on the cross, the election must be true. It's in the very name Jesus. And they must be turned to see that truth and know the comfort of this gospel. Jesus is an effectual Savior of His people from sin. There is none other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. The fact that He is an effectual Savior and the only Savior means that He is a complete Savior. That's, that's been implied. Every aspect of salvation, He is the one who earns and gives to us. This is the comforting gospel of Jesus and what is revealed in His name. All salvation. Catechism says we must find all things in Him necessary to our salvation. Our human, our human natures want to proudly add, claim some credit for some aspect of salvation. We must be reminded this morning, He has paid it all. He has finished obeying every single one of the commandments perfectly in our place so that we do not have to obey those commandments for our salvation. There is no condition we must meet in order to obtain fellowship with God. There is nothing we must do to obtain covenant with God he has done everything necessary. You might respond this morning, I know that. I've been through that. Reformed believers have been growing up with that and we've had controversies arguing about that. Do not, do not imagine that we cannot be attacked and that we're immune. I know I've said it before. That we are immune to this idea of inserting some part, our part, in our salvation. To claim credit for it. We are to expect that the devil will do all he can to get our human natures to compromise in the truth of Jesus as the complete Savior. 
the one who has accomplished all for us. We're called to watch and pray, not to be witch hunters going about with fearful suspicions about every other phrase or minister. But let not any extreme witch hunter, if there are such, deter you from properly ensuring that out of this pulpit and out of my mouth too, only the true Jesus, the complete Savior, is preached. And I warn you of that not, not simply because of things of the past, but I warn you of that because that's what the catechism speaks of here in Lord's Day 11. Lord's Day 11 says, Do such then believe in Jesus, the only Savior, who seek their salvation and welfare of saints of themselves or anywhere else? Notice the answer. They do not, for though they boast of Him in words, they say Jesus is the Savior. Even they say that Jesus is the complete Savior. Yet, yet in deeds, they deny Jesus the only Deliverer and Savior. You see, it's possible. It's possible for one to claim with his words that Jesus is the Savior, the complete Savior even, the effectual Savior, and then deny Him in other ways. Everything, everything necessary for salvation must be found in Jesus alone. If the hearts of God's people ever rely upon any work or activity of man, they may say that they believe in Jesus the complete Savior, but with their deeds and with their reliance upon man's works, they deny Him as the complete Savior. The Roman Catholic Church is obvious in this. They require of their members all sorts of external works to merit salvation. The catechism particularly refers to them seeking salvation and welfare and saints so that they pray to Mary, they pray to the Apostle John and to Peter and to the leaders of the Catholic Church. There is a dependence on man and upon self. Less obvious is the federal vision, the federal vision movement in many churches, even reformed churches, which really teach the same thing as the Roman Catholic Church, but deceptively because they couch their teaching in reformed language. So they claim they believe in Jesus as the only Savior, but then they speak of things like justification by faith, which sounds like justification by faith, which we believe but they mean by faith, faithfulness. And the people are caused to rely upon their faithful living for their justification, not only now, but especially in the end of time when they stand before the judgment seat of God, God's people think, I must, I must have good works because those good works somehow enter into 
the basis, the reason for my justification before God at the end of time. Arminian theology claims it's not by works that we are saved. They'll teach grace, 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 and they'll repeat it to you again and again. But in the end, Arminian theology teaches that it comes down to whether or not you choose. That is what your justification and what your salvation depends on. That you choose to believe. And man is caused to rely on his believing. I warn you about those errors. This is not about the name. PRC. This is about the name Jesus. He only is the Savior. The only basis, the only source of all, every aspect of salvation. But now I warn you of ways in which this denial of the complete Jesus can creep into the most conservative of Reformed churches like ours. Talked about Arminianism, Federal Vision, Roman Catholic theology. But beloved, pride is another enemy of this gospel. Reformed believers can have all the right intellectual knowledge and say it all correctly. But if there is a pride, a pride that rests, that has a heart leaning on something other than Jesus, we're not resting in the true Jesus either. Ironically, the same people that sometimes insist that Jesus is the only way of salvation take pride in a wrong kind of pride in their church's name. It's an institutional pride. Out of one mouth they say, I believe in Jesus alone, in Jesus alone, but then they rest in their church and their church name. Yes, God uses the church and the institution as His tool, as His means to bring us the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no denying that. But our hearts, beloved, in pride may not rest in the church. I warn you not only of institutional pride, but of doctrinal pride. Yes, we must know the truth. We must strive for true doctrine because again, God uses doctrine, true doctrines to lead us to understand who Jesus Christ is, the true Christ. But if we begin to trust in my own correct doctrine, my own precise formulation of the doctrine, then we're leaning again on ourselves, on our work, 
of coming to theological understanding of Jesus Christ. Yes, we're called to hold the doctrines of marriage, the doctrines of creation, to all the rest of the doctrines of God's Word. They're important. Don't, you may not misunderstand me to say that these doctrines are not important. Just as every good work is important, these doctrines are important. But our hearts may not rest in the fact that we hold to them. Our hearts must rest in the Jesus Christ that those doctrines explain upon Him, His person, and His work. If not, it's just a theological pride, a doctrinal pride. It's not just that. It's not resting in the complete Savior. And finally, one more warning. Beware that Jesus as a complete Savior is attacked on multiple sides from multiple angles, both from the side of works righteousness and from the side of hyper-Calvinism. Both sides attack the truth of Christ as a complete Savior. The first one I mentioned is easy to see. It's easy to understand, though not always easy to detect in our own hearts and circles. But that works righteousness is the heart's dependence on any work, any obedience, any tradition for salvation in addition to Jesus, the person and work of Jesus. That works righteousness comes into play even in the realm of sanctification that I depend on myself to live a holy life. I depend on my works to live a holy life. Any aspect of salvation, whether it be justification or sanctification, whereby my heart relies upon myself, is works righteousness. And to compromise in Jesus as a complete Savior. But hyper-Calvinism... More broadly speaking, and antinomianism, more narrowly speaking, is just one of the aspects of hyper-Calvinism. They seem like the opposite, but it attacks the same complete Jesus, the complete Savior. It especially attacks the complete Savior by denying or minimizing the work of that Savior in, in, the hearts of His people. Because Jesus Christ is a Savior from sin, not only by purchasing salvation for us. Yes, that's true. But Jesus Christ is a Savior in working that salvation in us, inside of us, to take man who is dead by nature, to work in man a new heart, a new man which is not not separated from the Holy Spirit, but fully empowered by the Holy Spirit, yet distinct from the Holy Spirit. Because that new man is who you are, the new creature that He has made in you. That's what Jesus does. He is so great a Savior, so complete a Savior, that He didn't just die to cover over your sin 
But He is the complete Savior that works inside your heart to take a hold of you, to bring you to faith, and to cause you to live a holy life in thanksgiving toward Him. That's how complete a Savior He is. Don't let anyone deny that. Don't let anyone minimize that. I know it is said, beloved, man is nothing, and God is everything. And I agree with that statement. Of ourselves, man is nothing. God is everything. Jesus is everything. But if that statement is meant, if that statement is meant to teach that man is just a shell, and God doesn't work in man, Jesus as a Savior doesn't work in man to make him a new creature in the image of God, to glorify and praise Him now. And one day in glory and perfection. Then I deny that. Because Jesus, my Jesus, the true Jesus, is an effectual Savior, so great, so complete, he works inside his people. You hear what I'm calling you unto on the basis of God's word? To believe, to turn, turn from any dependence on anything else, on a church name on your own work of holding to true doctrine, your traditions, your coming to church twice, the man you follow, and turn to Jesus only by faith. Not to depend on your faith but turn to Jesus only and cling to Him. Because this is not just a one-time activity. It's an ongoing activity of the heart that God increases and strengthens today in the preaching. Cling to this Jesus only exclusively as your complete Savior. Life is a constant battle to rely on nothing else but Jesus only. In fact, beloved, when you read the Powderbury Catechism, and you read that, for though they boast of Him in words, yet in deeds they deny Jesus, the only Deliverer and Savior. Are you not pricked? Does that, does that not tell you and expose to you your heart and my heart by nature. We're all a people 
that tend to rely on something else besides Jesus. We're prone to wander not only into all kinds of sins, but into the denial of Jesus Himself, the complete Savior. And so I call you to turn. To turn from every erroneous idea of Jesus back to the true Jesus and find in Him forgiveness of all your sins, including including your sins and my sins, which have, in many ways, if not doctrinally speaking, practically speaking, in our pride and deeds, where we have denied Jesus, the complete Savior. And at the cross, you may be assured you're forgiven for His sake, His sake alone. And one day all will indeed see this true Jesus in perfection with the greatest of clarity. We will know Him better and more clearly than we know Him today. As this effectual, exclusive, complete Savior. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Things in heaven and earth, things under the earth. This Jesus Christ, only this one, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hope rwc at gmail.com. Thank you.